0: Hello, and welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights, the show where we ask SaaS founders, CEOs, marketers, and investors about the lessons they've learned in their quest to grow their companies. My name is Paul Stevenson, and I'm founder and CEO of SaaS Marketing Agency, 47 Insights. On today's show, I have an interview with conversion copywriter, Sophia Dagnan. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, Sophie Dagnan, um, conversion copywriter, welcome to SaaS Marketing Insights.
1: Thank you, really happy to be here.
0: So uh, you're down in Houston, Texas, uh, I believe.
1: Yeah. And
0: uh, so where are you originally from? Because you don't sound like you're from Texas.
1: Yeah, right. Like my text and draw is just not coming in at all. It's really disappointing. Um, it's kind of a, like a long story, um, Bulgarian by birth, but I've moved around a lot and I mostly grew up in Scotland. So my accent is like this really weird mixture, of like Scottish and like random things I pick up from TV. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. okay. So, <laughs> so you're a world citizen.
1: Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that feels a bit like, yeah, why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we all are now anyway. Um, so... Uh, tell me a little bit more about that that journey where it where it got started. Specifically, I'm interested in how you got into uh, conversion copywriting and how you came to specialize in SaaS and tech.
1: So it was actually a bit by accident. <laughs> um, so I studied archaeology at college. And <laughs> okay. I mean, clearly it ties into tech completely. <laughs> yeah, old tech. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so, my specialization was uh, paleo nutrition. And so, it was just, I studied a lot of bones and like DNA data. That was pretty much my last two years at uni. But after graduation, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Because for archaeology, you kind of have to go into, you don't really have the choice of academia. So I could do a master's and then a PhD and just stay in that bubble forever. Or you had industrial archeology, span which is uh, in the UK, basically before you can start building a site, you have to do an archeological survey. And so you're there working with uh, all the builders and all the guys and your job is to like, try to spot any bits of pottery or like the remains of an old building. You're like, no guys, stop. Like we, we now have to excavate this. And of course they don't want you to find anything because it slows down the building process. So you have this really kind of difficult job where you're managing a lot of people and trying to like, preserve history at the same time. I was like, I'm not sure I want to do that. <laughs> and so after my husband graduated, we were like, you know what? We don't know what to do. Let's just move to the States because that seems like the thing to do. Yeah. And so we're like, right. Um, the only place that we can fly into with a one-way ticket is, uh, is Florida because everywhere else is super expensive. Let's fly into Florida and we use our savings, we get a car, we'll drive to Texas, and like we'll figure it out. So we did that. <laughs> Landed wow. in court the day the government shut down. <laughs> oh. Great, because uh, my husband needed to get his social security number and stuff because he like lost his documents a bit. And we're like, we need the government to be open to actually be able to leave Florida. This is not great. <laughs> So we were stuck there in a hotel room for like a month, <laughs> waiting for the government to open. And as soon as that happened, we were like, right, okay, and we can get a car and we can go to Texas and we can find work. And so we did that. <laughs> but how, long it took... go,
0: how long ago was this?
1: This was about five years ago. Wow. So drove Florida, to Texas, went to Austin, found an apartment. My husband found work. And I was in a position where it was taking my documents a little bit longer to... Uh, to come through so i was sitting there waiting for my green card and you know like when you're somebody who really likes to work you feel <laughs> completely tied down you're like I can't do anything what am I doing with my life <laughs> like what's going on I'm just waiting on the government to send my documents they just sit in there and it was really weirdly really difficult like you would think time off work is like you can relax and read books but at the back <laughs> of your brain you're always like I should be working. Why am I not working? Like what's what's happening with my life? But during that time, I had the time to research a lot of like things. And I found out that you could write online. It's like, that's cool. Like I never thought of that. I'm good with words. Like that's something I can do. So once my documents came in, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try the whole freelance thing. We've just moved here. Like I might as well do that before trying to get a corporate job. so I started applying for like a bunch of gigs on Upwork. And at first I got some like, pretty low bid ones I think I wrote a blog post for like two bucks because I was just so excited that this existed that like I had no idea what you could do I was like you paid me two dollars for like words I can do that here have words and it was it was pretty awful
0: <laughs>
1: but uh and then from there I just I started building I was like oh wait no like if I do a good job, I can get a lot more money. And so you start realizing what the actual potential is. And then you also start realizing that it's impossible for you to keep up writing a lot of words for like six dollars an hour because your brain dies. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, I just started leveraging each gig into kind of into better gigs. And eventually I started working for uh, Saturday content, for this social marketing uh, management SaaS, uh, Maeve Social. And that was kind of my first foray into SaaS and their marketing manager just found me through Twitter to this day. I have no idea how, but it was just one of those like awesome serendipitous moments when she was like, hey, you're good. Do you want to write content for us? And I was like, yeah, like, that sounds great. You guys do <laughs> cool stuff. And so I just leveraged that into working for like a bunch of like SaaS uh, companies in the same space. And so I was really into the content space doing like blog posts, raising my prices and kind of realizing that, Hey, like I could actually have like a comfortable career out of this because I'm providing value. And and this is like really working. It's getting good results for them. It's getting good results for me. And as I went deeper into the space, I found out about like conversion copywriting. I was like, wait, you're going to pay me to spend my time like doing research and like analyzing customer data and pulling in Excel sheets. Like, this is what I did at uni. Like this is the stuff I'm really good at. Like, this is a job. <laughs> so as soon as I found that out, I was like, yep, yeah, this is like my dream career. I have to do this. And just
0: went from there. Fantastic. That's uh and and told with such enthusiasm as well. <laughs> um so uh so you start writing, uh you start out copywriting, uh, and then you realize that there's this thing called conversion copywriting. And you start specialising in that, and uh, and it's your dream job. I mean, everybody wants to do their dream job, right? Right. Uh, so take take me through the sort of things that um, you, you write as a conversion copywriter, um, and you know what your process is. Because I think, as you alluded to, there's quite a lot of research actually involved. It's not just like you sit, have a cup of coffee, think hard. And magic words come out. <laughs> Do you want to tell us what that process is for you?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I'm a bit ashamed of it but I really used to think that that is what writers did. <laughs> so I was like yes you know these brilliant writers and I will be that brilliant writer one day just sit down and then like magically everything just flows and there's no need for editing and, and they just know everything intrinsically. And then as soon as I started doing this as a job and actually speaking to a lot of these like really great writers that I met, I was like, wait, these guys actually spend like hours and hours and hours talking to customers and reading reviews and looking, like doing heuristic analysis and looking at like a hot jar and heat maps and Google Analytics and all these things. And this is where they actually get their data from. So most of my process comes from just, because when I first started out, I really I had no idea how to build out this post. So still, so I was doing a little bit of research, but I was mostly just trying to whole, I'm good at making words sound good. So here's some good sounding words, but that's not really enough for conversion. So I started really getting into uh, things like copy hackers and Joanna Weep, like that's a fantastic resource for like, anybody in our space. But I started reading her things and kind of just speaking to her about her process and speaking to other people in the field. They were like, yeah, so first thing, we, you need to speak to the customers. So a big part of my process is just interviewing customers and talking to them about their problems, talking to them about the stage of awareness they're at. So, because when somebody comes to your page or when somebody wants to buy a product, everybody, like they all convert at, at different points. And for them to actually get to the stage where they realize that your product is the right fit, they need to see the right words and they need to, to understand that basically you can help them get the outcome that they want. And the only way to figure out what that outcome is, instead of like sitting there and trying to like guess what people feel is to ask them. So interview started as the foundation of my process. And then on that I uh, laid on custom surveys because interviews are awesome, but it's not always possible to do a lot of them. So, you can do like five to 10 and you get into this point where they're great for messaging, but you fall into the law of small numbers. So the information you get is it's great for using expressions that people are going to convert to, but it's not as great for understanding exactly what different segments need just because you have such a small uh, size. Mm. And so surveys, because I like to get about like 200 answers, ideally at least, they give you that wider perspective of what different segments are feeling. So I added that. And so then you start analyzing the service and you start bringing in different things. And after I was like, but I do want to know how people react on like, say, if I'm writing a web page, I want to know how people act on the old web page. So that's when I started adding things like heat map analysis and looking at uh, Google Analytics and figuring out how this Traffic is acting like what they're clicking on, what's bringing in there, when they bounce, if they bounce completely or if they go to a different page. And so all these kind of pieces made up my research process.
0: Fantastic. So um, it's interesting what you just said there about, you know, qualitative research versus quantitative research. I guess one of the problems for many uh, SaaS and tech startups is that if they're quite small, they don't actually have that many customers. So being able to get quantitative feedback from 200 customers would be, you know, outside of the realm of possibility for them. I guess all you can do in that instance is, is the, the qualitative kind of customer interview, right?
1: Um, that's where review mining comes in. <laughs> ah, tell mining. me about
0: review mining.
1: <laughs> yes, review mining is an awesome tool that you can basically use even when you have no customers. So Amazon is just the easiest place to start with that. But let's say you were like a product, having trouble thinking of a product. But let's say you're building a product that helps somebody, um, like an email marketing product. Yes. Because that's easy to talk about. So if you're building an email marketing product and you have no customers to speak to, you head over to Amazon and you basically start looking for books that solve the same problem that you solve. I don't think an email marketing product is a very good one. Oh yeah. So, let's say you're building a product that helps people get their dream job. Yeah. So, you start looking at books that address that. So, like, there's a bunch of books on how to do good in interviews, how to get your dream job. And you look through these and you start looking for themes. So, what questions people are asking, and especially themes that tie into it with the software you're building. And I like to just copy and paste these into a giant Excel spreadsheet. And then I analyze them in the same way I would analyze survey data. So, at the top, I usually just put the question that like the feedback answers. So for example, let's say part of your software is to help them um, get past, the, get them to the interview stage, like get past the algorithms and stuff. So I'll start uh, basically compiling the data that helps me do that. And then you start analyzing it and that helps you pick out the themes. And after you looked through books on Amazon, you also start looking at competitor messaging. So you can see what messages your competitors are actually using just to understand what where the market is at, at this point. And then you can start looking at the uh, reviews and basically the customer testimonials they're getting and your reviews in their like, blog posts, you start going through like, like their Facebook page, uh, things like G2 Crowd or Capterra. And that just gives you a really good insight of where people are in your marketplace. And then you can use that as your initial messaging. And obviously once you grow, you then get the custom survey data to
0: grow that. Yeah. So once you've done the the customer research, uh, then I guess it's it's then that's when the the word smithing comes in, or or is there another process? Is there another stage after that? I guess you've got to review all of that with the with the customer, right? With your customer, your client.
1: So it actually depends on whether they want to. I like to have, so after the research, I like to have a meeting where we just talk about everything we found. Um, But I've had clients who are like, look, we trust you, we trust what we found, like just, especially if, um, especially if they come to you with an idea of what they want the page to be or what they want the page to contain. Mm. It doesn't always make sense to review it. But yeah, ideally you talk through the research, you talk about what you found, and then you move on to the copy phase just so that um, they know what to expect at the end. Because I find that one of the biggest kind of obstacles to like, between, say, conversion copywriters and the client is that if you don't communicate at every stage, they have one idea of what you're making and you have one idea of what you're making and that can clash. So this helps yeah. you with that.
0: So has there ever been an instance where you've done this initial research and you've actually found something that's completely changed uh the direction or significantly changed what they were thinking in terms of what they were going to put on the home page or their messaging or their positioning just through customer research
1: um actually <laughs> this is uh, it's kind of an embarrassing yet funny story i <laughs> uh, recently um did a project with a client where we did a messaging marketing report so it was basically taking all this research and then pulling into a messaging report with like ideas for different headlines and stuff they can use because they're at a stage where they're trying to really nail down the messaging but before we did this project we also did an email onboarding project so i uh, read the email onboarding sequence and now after this project i'm like, like you know, some of the messaging that we use for the onboarding sequence. <laughs> <laughs> like, we should probably change those.
0: Yeah, that's a case of putting the, the cart before the horse.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, you, you do have stages where, like, you worked on projects before and then you do a complete messaging thing. You're like, hang on. Like, the customer data says we should actually be focusing on this stuff instead.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I guess that, uh. Leads me to uh, my next question, which is about common mistakes uh, that you know you see um, SaaS founders or, or, or marketers uh, using when it comes to conversion copywriting. Say you know they haven't employed somebody like yourself. Uh, you know they're bootstrap, they're starting from nothing. They, they take a wild guess. Uh, they, they write something. Are there some common mistakes that that, that you see and just as soon as you go on a website you know you talk to yourself
1: um so yeah I think so but again with this one I kind of have another story because so we all have I think as a professional you feel you have kind of like almost a subconscious list of best practices that mm. you kind of believe that work all the time and like I mean obviously on a top level like you're aware that there's always exceptions and that everything should be tested and that it's a process. But recently I found out that, uh, about myself, that there are certain things that I believe. So I was working with a, with a client a while back and they're running ads. And so I clicked through on their ad cause you know, I go to their website a lot so much the ads target me. So I clicked through the ad and the ad takes me to the homepage and I was like, that goes against the best practice. Like an ad should always lead to a landing page. Why are they doing this? Like, mm. And then I spoke to them and it turns out that actually for this level of awareness of the ads that they're running, sending people to the homepage gives them better results than sending them to a landing page. And this wasn't something that like in my little bubble that I believe possible. I was like, wait, so that's really interesting. Because at least in my, like in my space and like in my little bubble, we kind of tend to go, no ads lead to landing pages. Like that's it. And so, when we talk about common mistakes i suppose the biggest thing is to follow best practices as if they would work for you.
0: Yeah. Because I'm I mean glad that, that. yeah. <laughs> following any kind of dogma uh just uh you know just following somebody else's rules without actually thinking through and without measuring it or testing it uh is a is a favorite uh challenge of mine that that I see with a lot of companies oh, well, so-and-so told, told us to do this, or we read it, uh, it online, that this was the best way to do it. It's like, did, did you test it?
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's so hard, especially when it's something that, say, like, you've done yourself in the past and it's worked. So, of course, your brain is like, I did it, it worked, therefore, it's great. And then people you know and admire have done it and it's worked. And so it's almost hard to step away from that and be like, hey, like best practices are an amazing place to start. Like, mm-hmm. they give you a far better start than, say, trying to, like, figure it out over yourself. But from there, you need to then start adapting them and start thinking mm-hmm. about how it's going to work for you. Because if it's, it's almost you fall into a place where you start thinking of yourself as a failure if, like, their best practices aren't working. Because, like, these really smart people are telling yeah. you, like, this probably a conversion rate of, like, 210%. And you're like, I, mean, I should decrease mine. So, like, what am I doing wrong?
0: yeah. I, I, I'll tell you a story, a reverse story. So I had, um, uh, I, I read or heard on a podcast someone saying that, you know, uh, a longer headline in on a Facebook ad will always pull more. And they were absolutely categoric about it. And, you know, I was very skeptical when I, when I was listening. But I thought I'd try it, so I was running this campaign and I just added in another variation uh, based on the same creative but with a longer headline. Uh, and it tanked. It actually pulled half as well as the one with just the the, the, the short headline. So, you know, I'm not saying that that's the rule, but uh, I'm glad I tested it because who knows until you run the test.
1: Right. Because it, it really depends on your audience and like even on the level of sophistication they're running at. Because say if you're marketing to marketers, like we've seen so many of the ads that we are weirdly skeptical but also kind of an easy audience to market to because I think you always have the best practice in the back of your head so you see somebody following the best practice and you're like this is a great ad like I must convert to it but other people are not as weird so that's why I've
0: never felt that I've never said this is a great ad I must convert to it
1: okay I have maybe it's just me
0: yeah I'm way older and more cynical than you are (laughs) Cool. Um so, so you're writing a lot of web web copy. Are uh, you writing uh, like onboarding emails and uh, landing pages? Is there anything else?
1: that's pretty much it. Like that's the stuff I tend to focus on just because I feel that that's probably the best investment like yeah. for people like me, because otherwise like with a lot of your other pages, yeah, sure, like they're important, but you don't necessarily need somebody who's conversion focused on them just yeah. because that's
0: not their purpose. So let's talk about the conversion side of things. Uh, you know, how, how do you find out from your client which works best? So is it a case that you're, you're creating the, the copy, you hand off to them, they're building it into their landing pages and their, their um, drip email campaigns, and then you just get some feedback on, on what worked and what didn't work?
1: Um, it really depends on the client. I like to basically, I, I like to become friendly with uh, anybody doing the testing and the CRO team and to kind of make myself available, because it's, A, I think, as a conversion copyright, I think part of your job is to try to provide as much strategy and as much help as possible, just because you have that experience. And it's just nice. plus, I mean, I'm invested in my own work working. Yeah. So I want to be as involved in the testing process as I can just so that uh, we can adjust. Because sometimes, and um, this always like, hurts a lot when it happens, but you're going to spend all this time researching a page and building a page, and it's going to bomb against the control. Like, that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, yep. It's awful. Um, you feel like a complete failure when it happens to you. <laughs> but when you are involved with the CRO team, then you have an opportunity to fix that and Mm -hmm. to optimize and to figure out where in your hypothesis you went wrong, because copy is really a process. And I think this brings us back to the mistakes. It's assuming that once you write the website, once you write a landing page, like that's going to be your landing page forever and ever. It's going to work. Like it Mm -hmm. has a half-life because uh, the market changes, your customers change, technology is becoming more prevalent all the time. So we start responding to different messages. And so just being involved in that testing process helps me improve my work and helps me improve results and it just helps me feel better about my work as well
0: yeah so um on a more kind of personal professional note i guess uh do you work mostly from home i guess
1: i uh, yeah i do i'm in the process of actually turning my office into something that looks nice but it's like a wall and a desk and a lamp
0: <laughs> <laughs> good for you um so how do you um how do you cope with that because you know and i know writing is very intense and you need deep focus to do it but sometimes you can go a little bit stir crazy right
1: definitely um i've tried a bunch of different things i'm still to be honest i'm still trying to find a thing that works for me like i've tried having ridiculously strict rules where i'm like i'm going to be in my office from eight until six and then i'm not touching anything and that didn't really work for me because my brain doesn't always like work properly for me to six. Like I'm a bit of a night person, so sometimes I do some of my best stuff at like ten PM on the couch or later. <laughs> and so those strict boundaries, I tried them, I tested them, they didn't work for me. I tried having really loose boundaries and um, those didn't really work for me either because then you end up like watching Netflix five hours and that's not great. <laughs> so now i'm trying to come during my day but if i find that like my brain is just not working i will allow myself like a break i'll step away uh i'll have a coffee and then i'll try working from a different location
0: oh the old location uh fix
1: yeah, yeah weirdly um it it can be yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's the oddest thing um i do it myself sometimes uh, i just get to the point where i can't work at my desk at home and so I can go out, but I, I can work somewhere else. I can work in a coffee shop.
1: Yeah. It's so weird, but like your brain's just like, hey, this is interesting. Like it's new. We can do yeah. stuff here.
0: Yeah. Sophie, uh, Sophia, sorry. Uh, thank you very much for your uh, your time and your insights into uh, the world of uh, conversion copywriting. I mean, I think it's a, a fascinating and very underrated um, profession. and, and you know, I think there's there's a hell of a lot still to be learned. I think it's it's quite a young uh, thing, really. I, um, I think there's just so much more work to be done in this space.
1: Oh, yeah, like, definitely. I'm really excited to see how it goes. And thank you so much for having me. Like, it's been awesome chatting with you.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sophia. For more info, please visit sophiadagnan.com. For more info about this show and to get our links to iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher and YouTube, check out www.47insights.com. And if you have any SaaS marketing insights that you'd like to share on the show, please get in touch. Until next time.